to this week's edition of the NinersNation.com Better Rivals Podcast. My name is Oscar. My name is David. And this week, make sure to get your votes in for the Jimmy Garoppolo nickname Finals. It is the final round, the final countdown, Jimmy GQ versus Optimus Dime. And while we probably both want one name to win, we know that the other is probably a bit more practical. Uh, number two, Josh Allen is Mel Kuyper's QB1, a distinction he shares with none other than Ryan Leaf himself. And how about that Minneapolis miracle? Boy, that was a that was what uh, that was a game that made me go like, wow, mouth agape, just stare at the screen. What the hell just happened? Uh, and, I, and I haven't felt that way in a while watching football. It never happened. I mean, uh, there were I don't know if this was actually true. I haven't seen like video or something like that. But apparently Sean Payton was on the sideline and he was like doing this mocking skull chant to Vikings fans. Yes. And then this play like basically happens right behind him, uh, which is just adds a nail, another layer of incredible on top of it. But yeah, man, it was, it was a great weekend overall football. I'm going to go ahead and drink a little bit of my Martin house IPA because it's the off season. And you know what? These are the more free flowing discussions that we have. <laughs> uh, and so let's, uh, let's go ahead and cheers to some awesome football. Cause this week's probably going to be good too. Let's do it. All right, so with that, let's get into episode two of our three-part roster self-scouting series. So what, what did we want to do with these three episodes? If you listened last week, if you haven't listened last week, I would definitely invite you to go to our SoundCloud page or go to iTunes or go to wherever it is that you get podcasts and listen to last week's episode because we lay a lot of the foundational work, pun intended, uh, about the model and why it is that we're building it and self-scouting in this way. But if you're lazy and you want the too-long-didn't-read or too-long-didn't-listen view, what we wanted to do was build a model for roster evaluation and one that went beyond the simple kind of upgrade everywhere axiom. We also knew that establishing a player's value was not simply binary. It's not just a, oh, you're a number one wide receiver, you're Julio Jones, and oh, you're absolute trash. There's a lot of areas of gray. And we really wanted to build a model for roster evaluation that, in, that was able to include things like finding what a player does well and finding how they fit and understanding that players can fit a specific and unique role on your roster and not necessarily be a number one wide receiver or an every down running back or, you know, someone that has to be considered the elite at the position in order for your football team to succeed. And so two of the things that we were really kind of used, I think, is 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 I guess the thing that guided us throughout the the process of creating this, right, were two things that always kept popping up. And it was one, how talented is that player? And two, how long do we expect them to be on the roster? So those were kind of a, uh, the, the main things that we used to help set up these different tiers. So with that, you have your core players that are going to be, these are the guys that you build around. These are the only ones that are kind of outside the quadrant, so to speak. So these are your top players. You expect them to be the very best, you know, or among the very best at their position. And, and you're really building your entire team around those guys as your nucleus, right? They're critical to what you do. You need those players on the field in order to, to perform well. And then from there, you start breaking things up, right? Everybody else, again, it's not just straight to trash. Everybody else kind of has a more defined role to play. And, and we really use, again, the skill level and the expected time on roster as the guiding principles to help us find those. So if you plot those two things and you end up with these quadrants, you end up with a skill on one axis and expect the time on roster in the other. And if you look at the upper right-hand quadrant, you've got your foundational players. These are your supporting players that are skilled and talented, and you also expect them to be on your roster for a long time. 
They're supporting players. They generally support your core, and they're necessary for success, and they do play pivotal roles. Now, they can be all over their career arc, but they're usually at or near either side of the peak of their career. Then we have the transitional players. So these are, again, players that are more skilled. You're expecting them to have some sort of contribution in the short term. But typically, these are going to be more veteran players that just fill an immediate need for you. Um, it, it's going to be it's going to be different, you know, age based on the position. You know, some p- uh, positions age a little bit quicker than others. So, uh, you know, at running back, you're going to start looking at guys uh, is, is maybe towards the end of their career arc when they start hitting their late 20s, right? Whereas other positions like quarterback, you know, even some offensive linemen, they can typically play well into their mid to late 30s at times. So that's going to be a different mark for each player. But again, it's it's more veteran players. They fill an immediate need for you. You're not really expecting them to be on the roster for a significant period of time, but you are expecting that short-term production. So that's the quadrant where you have less expected time on roster, but still high skill. Then you keep moving to the left and you get to the lower left-hand quadrant and you get to your replaceable quadrant. These are going to be the bottom of the roster players that aren't necessarily devoid of all value, but they're the players that are easily replaceable or easily found in the NFL player marketplace. For the NFL, these are going to be, or for, not for the NFL, but rather for, for the 49ers, these are going to be players like Asa Jackson, Greg Maven, Tyvis Powell, and Dante Johnson. Players that maybe still got you a lot of snaps and maybe had some special teams value, but were still pretty replaceable. You can go out and find that player again in the pool of players that exist in the NFL. So these are going to be the bottom of the roster players that are easily replaceable that you don't expect on your roster for very long and don't exactly have a high amount of skill. And then the other quadrant in that kind of the the low skill area, right, uh, is going to be the developmental tier. So that was tier four. Again, we talked about this one last week. But these are players that, again, you're not expecting much in the way of impact. Um, you're, you're not expecting them to necessarily play a, a whole lot of snaps. But these are players that you have more hope for. These are going to be typically younger players. So they're, they're going to be, uh, you know, your late round picks. If you have some undrafted guys that stick on the roster, the practice squad, maybe even um, players that you expect to be around the team still for several more years. But you're, you're not expecting that production, right? So these are going to be, um, you know, guys like the, uh, the Daryl Williams, the Eric Magnusons of the world. Um, who else did we have in that tier last week? Um, Joe Williams, right? Josh Garnett is a Ronald, guy that Ronald Blair was in the tier four in that developmental area. Yeah. So again, guys that didn't have high snap counts and some of them didn't even play at all. Right. You have somebody like a Joe Williams, um, who due to injury, maybe he had a, a really rough hangnail, <laughs> really, really bad hangnail. Um, you know, didn't didn't play at all last year. So they're they're bit uh, more unknowns and you don't really know what you're going to get out of them yet. But you're also not necessarily looking to cut ties with them just yet. So the idea and again, I invite you to listen to last week's episode. We went more in depth in describing what went into the model and why we built it. But we did get some questions that I did want to address about the model in the comments on Niners Nation and on Twitter that I thought would be interesting to answer here in episode two. So a couple of questions that we got, one of them was, you know, when talking about the replaceable category, but this player has value, why is he the lead in the replaceables? And Raheem Mostert was the person that came to mind when they were talking about, you know, a player that had a value. He was a special teams ace. He played well and he was, you know, certainly a backup running back and got a couple of snaps. And I think the thing we didn't make clear when we were describing the quadrants in the article, we did it on the show, but 
we we basically were saying that replaceable doesn't mean that you were devoid of all value. It doesn't mean that you are useless and that you are complete garbage. Although, if that happens to be you, Jordan Devi, that would be the tier that you would fall into. But that doesn't mean that you are 100% devoid of value. Just because you are replaceable doesn't mean you can't still have a couple of good snaps or a couple of good games. It just means that what you do is readily available and easily found. And in Raheem Mostert's case, think about how we acquired him. We acquired him as a free agent off the street. The dude had been cut by six teams already. So it, it wasn't like he, you know, he was a high-demand player. Right. He was just someone that you could find, and there's always a Raheem Mostert on your roster somewhere. Right. I think that's kind of the thing is um, that I think can be tough too for, especially if you're, you're only really pay attention to Niners football and, and you don't watch a ton of, or at least pay attention closely to a lot of the rest of the league, right? It can be tough to kind of gauge that value based on, okay, this is a player that I know that I'm familiar with that I know that he can do this kind of specific thing well, but it's tough to place that in the bigger picture, right? And, and to know where that kind of lies on the whole NFL spectrum and, and know what essentially you can go out and find readily available on the open market and, and what is actually something that's unique and more special that, that it's difficult to replace um, and that you can't necessarily find with just kind of your average replacement level player. Um, I think that's kind of a tough thing. And yeah, again, these are, um, like you said, not devoid of all value. Some some of them are going to get in there because of where the rest of your roster is at and they're going to get some playing time. But generally, again, the key thing here, they're low skill, so overall, again, skill in terms of being um, what they do being unique and, and um, tough to find. And then also you're not expecting them to be on the roster. And so we had a mix of them. Right. And there's going to be even, I think, gray area and players that, that don't have necessarily a clear fit that we even went back and forth on as to to where to go in there. So by all means, you know, we're it's not necessarily a perfect thing, a black and white thing. That's what we're trying to avoid. But I think that's ultimately kind of the, the position that we're coming from. So the next question we received was, hey, DeAndre Smelter, he's in the practice squad. Why is he on your list? And honestly, that was just a bit of a mea culpa on our part. The fact that he was on IR, then got cut, then he was in the practice squad, uh, that limbo kind of got us. Incidentally, DeAndre Smelter is now an Indianapolis Colt. Yeah, he just got signed to a futures contract, right? Yeah, which makes sense because the dude got passed over a couple times when we looked to promote some wide receivers from the practice squad. So... The, that was definitely we, we were operating off of a list and we looked at everyone on that list and sometimes the list got us and there were yeah there were there were a few players that uh status i guess maybe warranted a little bit more in-depth look but then again probably not because they were in replaceable players anyway and yeah uh they they mean as much as they do to the 49ers roster currently what we tried to do was we tried to get a holistic picture of the roster that included players like joe williams that included players that were going to be on ir that still might have a future with the team we didn't want to leave them off of the roster construction because i don't think that shanahan and lynch would have left them off of their offseason uh kind of self-scout when they're looking at how to fill the roster with pieces yeah it just didn't make sense to go with like purely the okay this was the 53 that opened the season and it also didn't make sense to go with this is the 53 that closed the season right there are going to be players in there um, that we're going to cross over and at least be in consideration, going to be brought back for the offseason. Um, so those were players that we wanted to try to include. The other question was about one specific player, and that's Tank Carradine. And, and a couple people thought that he played well enough to move into the transitional tier. And you know what? They're, they're not wrong. This is one player that David and I kind of went back and forth on as to whether or not he deserved to be in the transitional tier. We definitely put Tank Carradine not in the transitional tier, which would have meant he was high skill, and we expected him to be on the roster for a while. 
we actually put him in the fifth category, in the replaceable category, for no other reason than you can find a lot of backup six technique edge players on the market. He doesn't do anything extremely special. He hasn't lived up to a second round billing. He's a guy who has a cool name, (laughs) but he's not a guy that you can't find out there in the NFL right away. I mean, let's be real. If you came here looking for the tank carotene as a damn near elite fucking sex six technique uh, train of thought, like you're in the wrong place. But he could be a near elite sex technique. And now we're talking. Maybe. I mean, I'm not going to rule it out. I don't, you know, I don't have a lot of experience there. So i uh, gonna going to let that one. You don't have a lot of experience with sex with, technique. With Tank Carradine's sex technique. Yeah. I ain't trying to be messing around with that. No experience with tank sex is really what we're trying to say. <laughs> is really what we're trying to say. <laughs> oh, man. Oh, man. All right. So before start. we derail, uh, let's get to the last question here. What about those real world dollars? How does paying for a quarterback or edge player affect the blend of the tiers? And this is actually a really, really good question that we got in the comments from Niners Nation. And what we were hoping to do with these tiers is illustrate that at different parts of your roster construction life, you are going to put those rosters together differently because you do have to pay certain players at certain times. The two teams that we're going to be using as a base of comparison over the course of these next two episodes and that we used last week were the 2013 Seattle Seahawks and the 2017 Falcons. And we picked them specifically because one of them had a Russell Wilson rookie contract quarterback that was definitely playing at a, a core player level. And then you've got Matt Ryan, who is making way more money than Russell Wilson does in his second year, but is also playing at a super high level and is a core player that you build around. And, and how do those roster mixes compare, because they both were still very successful, to now a team in the 49ers that is going to have to play, is going to have to pay its now emerging core player star. So we, we picked these two teams specifically, and while we're not going to advocate that there is one specific way to manage your cap and that you have to have X percent of dollars tied up in these specific positions, we do think that when you do begin to spend more money, the complexion of your roster changes and the mix of your transitional and foundational players also begins to shift as well. Definitely. Um, because again, you're thinking of those transitional players as typically being more veteran guys, right? So veteran guys... Most of the time, these are players that you're acquiring via free agency, right? Whereas your your foundational players that are a little bit younger, you're expecting them to be on the roster a little bit more, um, or at the very least, they're a free agent that you've signed to, you know, somewhat of a long term uh, contract. Which you're hopefully, if you're if you're doing it even remotely right, means that he's a, a fairly younger player at least, right? This may be a second contract or something like that. So uh, it, it's it really comes down to that question, I think the starting point is, are you paying your quarterback? You know, are you paying your quarterback like a top quarterback or do you have somebody that's, uh, you know, either a bottom of the market type guy in which, you know, nobody wants to be there. Um, or do you have a rookie quarterback that is just giving you so much excess value that you can now go take that extra money that you have and spread it around to those other positions, right? Beyond that, the, the mix and match, I think, of, of positions and, and all of that different stuff is going to be different from team to team and what the coaching staffs want and, you know, all of those other nuances that are, that are more than we really are looking to get into with this type of thing. But I think that first question does help shape, you know, where you can acquire your other players to help support that quarterback. All right, so let's get into the transitional tier then. This is going to be our tier three player And again, as a reminder, this is going to be a player that is in the high skill area, but that you don't expect them to be on your roster for very long. 
veteran players typically that fill an immediate need and help transition you from one place to the other. In the other tiers, there were so many players that we couldn't read every single player off. (laughs) But when we get to the transitional tier, we actually can read every single name off, and we're going to do just that. So we'll start with Daniel Kilgore. Then we'll go to Earl Mitchell, Elvis Dumerville, Brandon Fusco, Carlos Hyde, Malcolm Smith, Eli Harold, Brock Coyle, Eric Reed, Joe Staley, Garrett Selleck, Pierre Garçon, and Aldrich Robinson. Those are all going to be the players in the transitional quadrant of the 49ers roster. So looking at those, right, so it's 13 players total, which currently of the the 63 players that we had um, you know, listed that, that we evaluated as part of this process, that's 21% of that 63, right? So it's a pretty sizable chunk that you're finding in this transitional tier here. Linebacker is currently the most represented position. So again, those those names were Malcolm Smith, Eli Harold, and Brock Coyle. So those three players, that's the most represented position. Um, and then you have a couple of others with with two players, right? Wide receiver has two. Um, you had, uh, oh, maybe I'm looking at the wrong one. Okay, wide receiver is the next one. I'm getting ahead of myself to the next year here. There were there there are three that have two. Um, but yeah, so I think. That is, is, you know, kind of tells you where we're looking to potentially see some turnover, right? And, and that's one of the things that you can start to take away here is which guys are we going to be looking to replace in the near future? Because that's a big part of this tier, right? Is not only are they, they higher skill, you're expecting that short-term production, but you're kind of expecting to be able to move on for them uh, here pretty quickly. These are the players that you hope to find a replacement for pretty quickly. And I think a couple examples of that, one would be friend, Brandon Fusco. He actually played really well. I would say he's one of the sneakily better free agent signings that the 49ers had this offseason. But you still are hoping for an upgrade. You're hoping that a player comes in, whether you draft him or whether it be Josh Garnett, come in and play better than Brandon Fusco. And you're hoping to replace that transitional player with a tier two player or a core player. The average score of this group, the average PFF score of this group is just 64, which is firmly below average. You still have a couple of players in this tier that performed very, very well. Uh, Joe Staley, of course, among them, he is that he was what the second graded tackle uh, in the NFL based yep. on Pro Football Focus's grading. I mean that that's that's a phenomenal grade, and yet you still don't expect Joe Staley to be a core piece of you know what we hope is a you know three year Forty ers run over the next three years. He's probably got maybe another really one or two great years left in him. And that was and that's probably one thing that's worth bringing up again here. So um, you know if you forgot or you didn't listen to the, the last week's episode, that time on roster expectation. Three years was kind of the rough guideline, right? We tried to look and see, okay, do we feel like this player is still going to be around and and contributing at either you know a relatively high level or uh, a higher or at least the same level that they're they're performing at right now, three years from now? And and I think with Joe Staley, that's a tough one, right? Because what we saw from him the end, the last half of this season was like, oh man, okay, this looks like kind of old Joe Staley again and and how long can we get out of him but then you look and he's only got 2 years left on his contract and so when you're you're looking at the end of that 2 years you know do you feel really comfortable saying that they're going to re-sign Joe Staley or do we feel like he's probably going to be replaced by a younger player and I think he's probably going to be replaced by a younger player, right? If you had to kind of put odds on it. Um, so that's kind of, yeah, I think that's a, a good one to call out for sure right away as to like, 
why is he in this one? He should be, you know, in a higher tier sort of thing. And I think that's really what it comes down to for him. So in terms of roster building comparisons, you've got the 2017 Falcons. They have 17% of their roster in the transitional category. You've got Adrian, uh, Adrian Claiborne, who's the only player from this tier who's in a valuable position, which is edge. And all the others are interior players. There are defensive tackles, guards, fullbacks, and tight ends. So when you think about the Falcons roster construction, they really filled out the middle of their team with these kind of transitional players, older veterans that are still can play and play very well, but are not going to be in these higher tier or higher position of value areas. And then you've got the 2013 Seahawks who had 22% transitional players and they had a slightly higher number, we think, due to their ability to pay for players in free agency because they had a quarterback on his rookie deal that was playing out of his mind. So two examples of rosters that were built a little bit differently. You know, we look towards the Falcons as more of a model for what the 49ers would want to aspire to be because they're going to have to pay out their ass for a quarterback very, very soon. So we think that, you know, ideally you want to fill out your your premier positions out of those cheaper areas and out of those, you know, kind of tier two players and then fill out some of the gaps in your interior with those tier three players. Yeah, I mean, that's that Seattle team was the perfect example, right, of the team that is just getting so much because not only, you know, were they getting a lot of value because they had a quarterback on a rookie contract, they had a quarterback on a third round contract, right? Which was just is completely different. Like you get a lot of excess value by having Andrew Luck on his, you know, the number one overall pick on his rookie contract. That's still netting you a lot of excess value that you can go spend elsewhere. When all of a sudden you're paying that quarterback a fraction of even a first round contract, it's it, it just allows you to do so much. And that was the year they initially signed Michael Bennett. Um, that was when Cliff Averill came over. That was when uh, they had guys like Sidney Rice. There were a lot of players that they added. Uh, Zach Miller was another one, I believe. Um, players that they added via free agency that ended up being key components of their run that we didn't know that necessarily at the time. So like Michael Bennett is a good example of he was in the way that we built this model, a tier three player, a transitional player. Cause if you remember when he first got signed, it was a one year kind of prove it deal, right? He came out of Tampa Bay. The market wasn't exactly what he expected it to be. So he took like a one year, $5 million deal or something like that with Seattle. And so they're kind of playing this, this sort of low risk, high reward type move by signing him. And obviously he ended up becoming a player that was in uh, a, you know, a much higher tier than that. But that's the flexibility that having that quarterback on the rookie contract provides you is you can go out and get some of those players that are going to be key contributors as free agents. So when you look at these 13 players as a whole, as the transitional tier, you've got a couple questions that you ask yourself when you're thinking about evaluating this roster. Five of these players are no longer under contract. Should any of them really be resigned to, con- to continue to fill the transitional role? You've got a couple that are, of course, going to be the, the neon lights standard bears in this category. Yeah. And two of them are, and the two are going to be Carlos Hyde and Eric Reed. They're the really big names here because they are free agents and they're in that transitional tier. The question is, do you re-sign them? Yeah, and, and, so, and just so you guys know too, the other three players, Daniel Kilgore, Brandon Fusco, and Brock Coyle are the other ones um, that we have in this tier currently that are not under contract for the 2018 season. So let's go really quickly and just do a quick yes or no if you're going to re- if you're going to resign them. If you were the GM, if you would resign them and then let's get dig into a little bit about why. So one Daniel Kilgore resign or no? No. Brandon Fusco resign or no? No. Carlos Hyde resign or no? No. 
and then Brock Coyle resigner no? No. Eric Reed resigner no. No. <laughs> All right. So <laughs> the only one that I would change is I would actually resign uh, Brandon Fusco if you can make that a reasonable kind of contract. Um, and uh, and Brock Coyle. The, those are the only two I would resign. And and yeah. the, the contract kind of determines a little bit, but Brock yeah. Coyle, I think, was um he, he's he was one of those players that improved quite a bit as the season went on. And if he's not your starter, but is a backup that plays special teams who can spot fill, and that's the kind of contract he gets, I think he can provide value in, in that regard and continue to be another two or three year stopgap. Yeah, I think that that was the thing, right? Is is he was he was one of those players kind of on the border between this tier three, this transitional tier, and the replaceable tier, right? And I think it was really his kind of late season push for yep. us that that got him up here. But to me, it's still just barely, right? He just kind of yeah. barely crossed that line, and it's still tough for me to to be like, okay, I I want to bring you back. You know, I think if you had to, and that's where it ended up, that's fine, right? He can yeah. he can continue to be a transitional player, but if I'm going through and, and trying to think of this, okay, what is the you know what's the best case scenario? What would I like to see them do, so to speak? Um, I, it wouldn't involve yeah. Brock Coyle in my plans. And, um, and for me, Brandon Fusco is like, well, would I rather do? Would I rather have someone like Lakin Tomlinson, or would I rather resign Brandon Fusco? And it's like I would resign Brandon Fusco in a heartbeat. Yeah, um, I mean, I, I think he's the one for me that's probably the the toughest call, and and I think that might be weird. So right, so let's get into to Hyde and, and Reed because I think those are the players. Again, these are the biggest names. These are the most talented players of those five um, that that are set to hit free agency right now. And, and I think really with them, what it comes down to and, and why I wouldn't really re-sign them is they just, they don't have the impact, right? They don't play the positions to warrant going out and spending because, because they are talented players, they're going to command more. It's going to be tougher to bring them back than the guys like Fusco and the guys like Brock Coyle, even who are, they're not going to have huge markets, right? If you no. want to bring those guys back at a reasonable cost, you're going to be able to. Hyde and Reed are both coming off their rookie deals. They're both going to be out there. This may be the biggest payday that they hit of their career, right? They're they're not going to be giving a hometown discount or any sort of thing like that to to come back and and play for the Niners. Nor should they. Nor should they. Um, Absolutely not. And and I think you look at player, uh, I think at Reed especially, right? You have a player already on the roster that is a very similar type of player. And I think you could argue is, uh, of a similar uh, similar talent level as well in in uh, Jaquaski Tart, and it's like okay, wh- we we shouldn't be, you know, going out of our way to re-sign this guy that doesn't play a premium position that doesn't do something again that's that's really overly unique that we can't replace because we have somebody that's shown on the roster that he can do those same things. So yeah. I think you need to be confident with these players in that okay, we need to recognize that they're not special that they're probably going to earn more than what we should be willing to pay them. We need to be confident. These are the type of players that I think a successful organization is really good at identifying. We can find the next one of these guys, right? They're good. They're talented players. You're expecting that production when they're on the roster, but they're not so good that you shouldn't feel like I can't go out and get the next one. This is the wide receiver in Pittsburgh. This is the, you don't pay Mike Wallace. This is the, I'm going to go ahead and get Martavius Bryant. And then you're like, ah, oh, do you pay Martavis Bryant? You're like, ah, oh, I don't know. Let me just go ahead and draft Juju Smith-Schuster. Like, like this. <laughs> exactly. It's just, it's just an ongoing, like, I'm going to find the next one. This is what I do. And, and that is what good teams are able to do. For me, these players really come down to not needing to 
it comes down to a, a team being wise in spending a limited set of resources. And both of these players are going to be players that, one, either don't play positions of value, which is, I think, what happens to Carlos Hyde. And two, you have a backup who's no, not really a backup, who plays at the same level as maybe Eric Reed and Jaguarski Tart. And so if I'm a team and I can take the resources that you would spend on those players and spend them elsewhere and, and get maybe an edge or get a wide receiver, I'm going to do that. Or I'm going to get a guard or I'm going to get something. I'm going to begin to fill the interior of the line, just like the Falcons have begun to fill the interior of their line and then they try to draft around the edges. That That's what I'm going to try and do because you've got finite resources. You can't just amass four starting caliber strong safeties and be like okay now what well so let's go so let's go to linebacker we talked about linebacker we hinted at it a couple times already when we talked about that being the most represented position in this group you know talked a a little bit about Brock Coyle there and whether we would bring him back but again the three linebackers Malcolm Smith Eli Harold Brock Coyle I think the question there is that so we feel pretty comfortable that this is a position that needs turnover right? We, we, we have three players that we're not expecting to be on the roster for a significant period of time, but how pressing of a concern is that, right? And, and again, positional value, I think really comes into play here. You have Malcolm Smith, who, uh, is, is a, a, not a good player. Last we saw him, not a good player. I don't give a shit what his contract says or what they think that they might be able to get him. What we know about Malcolm Smith right now Guys, is that he's not a good football David, player. David, that's like the new Vance McDonald for David. It's now that um, Vance... Look, man. Which, by the way, I, I hope everyone still drank when Vance McDonald was dropping <laughs> passes in the playoffs. Oh, man. We still we got at least uh, at least a few tweets about it, which made me happy. Yeah. Um, so but that, yeah, that that's... I, I, I'm, I'm, I may or may not set a preseason bet on how many games it takes for David to have a rage rant about Malcolm Smith. I mean, if he's if he's playing significant snaps, even in the, I almost, I almost said the fucking preseason, <laughs> um, but but if he's if he's week one there, man, and he's and he's a starter, he's getting significant snaps. Like that's going to be a problem. It's it's one thing if he were in more of an Eli Harold role, right? Which uh, is Sam linebacker. He's coming off the field a lot. He's not you know playing a high number of snaps like whatever if, if 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 he's not your ideal player there you can get away with it because he's mostly a rundown player you're not relying on him a whole lot it's easy to kind of mask that guy essentially and so um yeah i mean you have again harold not necessarily i don't think he's a terrible player you know he certainly didn't grade well this year but you're 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 looking for an upgrade there right you would like it if you had a better player there um and then brock coyle same sort of thing right came on a little bit late in the season um you're you're maybe okay with him there, but you're you would like to be better there. So with all of that, you know, you, you would like to be kind of better across the non Ruben Foster linebackers. Um, but again, knowing where the rest of the roster is at, are you comfortable with like that group for another year? Like, do you think it it is that pressing of a concern that it needs to be addressed now? Or are we okay? Just we punt that one away. We deal with more pressing issues get to that one next year i would rather deal with more pressing issues but i don't think that this position group is going to require a ton of work mostly because i think the team just needs to i think the team feels they need to work the bottom of this position group i think the team is much higher on malcolm smith than you and i may be and of course reuben foster is reuben foster i think eli harold and brock coil are areas where i'd like to see upgrades for sure but i think you could probably upgrade them with maybe like a fifth round pick 
And, 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 and I don't mean that to say flippant. I don't mean that to be flippant. I just mean that these positions are usually special teams positions, positions that, you know, you ideally just want big, fast, strong dudes, and you can sign them in free agency, and you can sign them to futures deals, and you can find them late in the draft. So I don't think it's going to take a lot of resources to really up that bottom of that roster and so, or the, the bottom of that position group. So I think that you can, you can upgrade that and not spend a ton of resources. Yeah, I, I think ultimately, like linebacker, and and you know, this was something that we went through last year. This is something that we're setting up. You know, Roquan Smith is is starting to become a very popular pick at uh, the 49ers spot there, whether that's going to be nine or ten. And uh, so it's it's a conversation that we're definitely going to have at some point again later this offseason. But it, it's just not a position that's that important, right? Um, if you have a top end guy, somebody like a Reuben Foster that can um, be as effective on pass downs as he is on rundowns. Like you start to, to push that value up a little bit, but it's still not where your secondary players are at. It's still not where your defensive linemen are at. So I think that's really the thing um, that makes me okay with like, yeah, I'll bring back a subpar linebacker group and, and kind of keep that as more of a transitional group for another year because if we can improve at corner and we can improve at edge and in some of these more pressing it's gonna positions, have a bigger impact. It's going to have a bigger impact on the way that our defense is yeah. playing. So which player from this tier do you want to move on from sooner rather than later? Uh, I mean, Daniel Kilgore, man, Ben real dude, but it's, it's time your, your contracts up. I think um, he's had ample opportunity to, to prove that he can be, a player that deserves to be around for longer. And, and I haven't really seen that. And for me, I'm going to, I'm going to have to go with our budding aspiring pro bowl safety. Earl Mitchell. (laughs) I think, (laughs) I mean, so the great, I mean, obviously great. Uh, I totally agree with that one. (laughs) The only reason that, that Earl Mitchell wasn't my player instead of uh, Kilgore is purely snap based, right? Like Earl Mitchell being a nose tackle. He's again, kind of like that Sam backer. He's not on the field a whole hell of a lot. So it's, it's less of a pressing issue. Whereas center, right? Every snap, you got to deal with what whatever that Daniel Kilgore or whoever is playing center is doing. Daniel Kilgore um, had nearly 1,100 snaps, whereas Earl Mitchell just had an, uh, just north of 600, 622. Yeah. But, but for me, I think the question is, who do you want to move on from? A, I think his contract is outsized, and I think we can spend those resources elsewhere. Even yeah. though we have a ton of resources, you just don't want to spend frivolously to, for, frivol- for frivolity's sake. Sure. And, and two, I think if we move on from Earl Mitchell... That means that we're giving. That means that players like DJ Jones are emerging and yeah. filling a, a different kind of role, and that's I think. And I think DJ Jones can be a much better nose tackle than Earl Mitchell. So let's get to the foundational tier. This is going to be the tier two players. This is the meat of the roster. the The meat of the roster that you hope is going to carry you and sustain you for that three year playoff run that you hope to get to and that you hope to build your roster towards. The foundational tier, for those of you who have not been listening, welcome. It's good to have you again. (laughs) The foundational tier is going to be that quadrant that is high skill and that you expect the player to be on your roster for a long time. We're we're gauging that as three-plus years. So the foundational tier for the 49ers is going to consist of Akella Witherspoon, Kawan Williams, Sheldon Day, Eric Armstead, Solomon Thomas, Kyle Juszczyk, Matt Breida, Jaquaski Tart, Adrian Colbert, Jimmy Ward, Trent Brown, George Kittle, Marquise Goodwin, 
and Trent Taylor. So general notes on this one, right? So we have 14 total players in this tier, which is is good. This is the second largest tier um, that we have currently behind the replaceable players, which was by far the largest one. Um, 11 of the, these players are on their rookie contract, which I think is is really huge, with the only ones not being on there uh, being Quan Williams, Marquise Goodwin, and Kyle Juszczyk. So those are the three free agent signings that you have in this tier. Everybody else is uh, is young on their rookie deal. You're expecting them to be around for a while. Um, and and hopefully these guys will kind of continue on the, the developmental path that we've seen from them in the short period of time here. Um, this is, again, like you mentioned, what you hope, I think, in an ideal situation, this is the bulk of your roster, right? This is... Uh, these are players that you're relying on to fill specific roles that are going to have a big impact on your win-loss record. Um, you want premium positions in this group. You want edge. You want receiver. You want cornerback um, to, to show up here. The Niners, uh, given their kind of unique safety situation, that ends up being the most represented uh, position group here uh, at three. But like I alluded to uh, incorrectly in the previous tier, three other positions show up twice here, and those are cornerback edge and wide receivers. So uh, I, I think overall, this is a group that is, uh, is a lot more exciting than the other ones that we've talked about. <laughs> Absolutely. I think the thing that excites me most about this is, is twofold. One, you look at the average PFF score for this group of players and it's 73 compared to the transitional players where their average PFF score was 62 or 64. Then you see that this is not only the higher skilled position group, but this is also a very, very young group. And you basically it's being fueled by the 2017 draft class. When you look at the roster comparison to the 2017 Falcons, the, the, this year's Falcons have 17 foundational players, 30% of their roster, which is phenomenal. They've got three cornerbacks, two edge players. I mean, they, they have built this roster with a bevy of foundational players that they found in the draft. And if the Niners have a successful 2018 draft, they will have a roster that shapes up similarly. Yeah. And that's the super exciting part. I mean, six of the 11 players that are in this category are, in, are on their rookie contracts. At this point, we're pretty confident that four of them are surefire starting caliber players. And that's Akello Witherspoon, Solomon Thomas, George Kittle, and Trent my man, Taylor. <laughs> I mean, this is this is awesome. This is what you want. This it's is how great. a draft class turns things around. Yeah, and I think you know the I think the Falcons group is a really um, great blueprint for what we kind of hope that this team can turn into. Because, like you mentioned, it's this is a big group for them, um, but there are very little in the way of players that they signed in free agency. Right, you have a couple of them uh, that you can kind of go out and you're hoping that you hit on, which is in their case are, are guys like Alex Mack, guys like Brooks Reed, Muhammad Sanu. Those are their tier two players, their foundational players that they got in free agency. But the rest of it is filled with players that they've uh, been able to draft and develop, right? It's Keanu Neal. It's Grady Jarrett. It's the running backs that they have. Um, guys like Ricardo Allen, um, Devondre Campbell. There's, you know, they have a long list of players that they've drafted recently that are coming in and having a big impact. And that's what we're hoping to see from this young class, this young group with the 49ers. So do you feel like any of the players in this category could eventually turn into a core player and ascend into that elite area? So this one's kind of tough for me. Um, I think I think there are a few players that are good candidates, right? I think the most obvious candidates are the higher picks, the guys like Solomon Thomas. Um, I think uh, somebody like uh, Trent Brown 
maybe sticks out, right? He's he's somebody that we've known to have, you know, a lot of upside uh, that that has become, I think, a very very good pass protector. And and I think there's thought that he, if he kind of continues to develop, he could maybe become one of those players. Um, I think you look at a premier position, somebody like Akella Witherspoon is a candidate. Um, George Kittle is kind of interesting to me because he might be the player of that group that I'm most confident in is going to be a really, really, really good player as far as his position goes, right? I I, I think with what he brings to the table and and the ability to contribute in both run and pass games, the athleticism that he brings, remember this was, even though he was kind of this Iowa tight end that came from a run-heavy, you know, scheme there and didn't do a lot in the way of uh, the, the pass game in college, super freak athlete. This was one of the highest, you know, spark scores in last year's class. So I think there's a lot of upside with him to develop there. But then I think the the problem I run into is, is tight end really, I think you have to be like Gronk level tight end, right. To really move into that core player group. So that's my hesitation there. Vernon Davis. I think we would yeah. have qualified as a core player. Like once you get to yeah. his level, I don't think Delaney, what do you think? What do you think Delaney Walker right now is at that uh, core? Delaney Walker is really close. I think the ones that I would, the the only two that I'm super confident that I without hesitation put Kelsey. in there are Gronk and Travis Kelsey. Yeah, um, I think there are a couple others right behind them that that are close. Right, you I, depending on yeah, you, you could convince me one way or another. Right, that yeah. they belong in there. Yeah, that for me honestly, I, I know everyone. You're probably if you're a longtime listener of the show, you're thinking to yourself, Matt Breida, right? <laughs> yeah, you you would think that you would think that, but no, I actually of the players, I, I think it's a Keller Witherspoon. I really do. And, yeah. and I think it's a Kello because A, he plays a position of value. And two, I think this is his rookie year. And he's got all, he ticks all of the boxes. One, he's an incredible athlete. Two, his physical traits are almost tailor made for this scheme. Three, and this is the part that excites me the most by all accounts, he is someone who is very, very heady and smart about the game. And that's the one thing that I think people undersell Richard Sherman on. Richard Sherman is a student of the game. And he has he's written a couple of fantastic articles for the Players Tribune where he talks about how he studies route stems and how he can basically run a route for a wide receiver because of what he's able to watch on film. And there are accounts about Akella Witherspoon's, you know, kind of film study and his dedication to his footwork and and what he does off the field in his head that make me think that he has the potential to be that good at the corner role. And so that that's those are the things that excite me about Akella Witherspoon, and that's why I think, especially because he plays corner, that he, of yeah. all the ones that we've listed, would be the one to ascend. Definitely. I, I, I think, ultimately, so it was tough for me to pick, so if I had to pick one, right, that was the, the player I thought was most likely to turn into that core player, it was between Solomon and Akello. Um, I, I, yeah, completely agree with all the points about Akello. My question for you with Solomon Thomas, so... The difference right now... I'm glad you asked me because I was going to ask you. <laughs> yeah. The, the, the difference right now between them, right, is that... Because I think there are, there are a lot of similar points you can make about them, right? The high athleticism, you know, the high football IQ, all of that's all of those things. I think there are a lot of those points that you can make about both. Colorado is no Stanford. <laughs> <laughs> um, the thing that is that, that kind of separates them right now is, right, is their play and production in year one. Akella, we got a lot more out of him and and it makes you feel more comfortable in his development because you saw him play at a higher level during his rookie season. The one thing that comes up with Solomon Thomas, right? So we were um, definitely in the camp that 
that we believe that he could play edge, that he could be an edge player and, and really excel in that role. Um, I think there were a lot of people coming out that thought he was going to be better as an interior player because that was what he did at college, and it's easier to make that sort of um, uh, that projection, right? When you're saying, okay, he did this thing really well in college, I, it makes it easier for me to say he's going to do that same thing really well uh, when he gets to the next level. So after a year, I mean, the, he was he was very much an edge player this year. He was on the edge, out, aligned outside of the tackle or wider on 70, it was like 71% of his snaps this year. So they used him as an edge player. He only, you know, he kicked inside occasionally. This was, I think, more of a late in the season type of thing. Kicked inside and obvious passing downs um, to, to rush the passer a little bit there. But based on year one, are you ready to say that, okay, we need to, you know, we, we, we thought that this could work, but we probably should abandon the, the Solomon Thomas at edge thing um, and, and kick him inside where I think we feel pretty good that he would be a good interior player, right? It's not that he would be bad there. You're, you're selling the idea that edge is a more valuable position, so if you can be good there, it's better for your team. But where are you at on that after, after one season? I, you know, it's interesting to think about the question because it, it makes me, it really makes me have some uncomfortable realizations. And by that, I mean that, you've got an all pro three technique, what I think is an all pro three technique in in DeForest Buckner. And I'm not going to sit DeForest Buckner or move DeForest Buckner to, you know, big end because of Solomon Thomas. So if you're going to move Solomon Thomas to the interior, you're going to move him to nose tackle, right? Like it's because in, in, in nickel situations, he can sit in the interior and and they can play two, three techniques and you're fine. And that's a lot of what he did already. But if you're talking about moving him to the interior on base downs, you're talking about moving him to nose tackle. Sure, he could do that. Maybe. I don't know. But that's what you're talking about. That's what you're talking. Maybe that hastens the Earl Mitchell scenario that I had in my head earlier, right? <laughs> and maybe, hey, he becomes a better short zone defender in passing situations. But, but that's what you're really talking about. So I think he either makes it work at edge or it does suck as a pick because the only other place that he's going to play is really – uh, is really nose tackle. And so I think that this is why I think the player for me that's more than likely to ascend is Akello and not Solomon. And that's be- it's because you have positional clarity yeah. with Akello and he's already playing the position well that he needs to play well in order to ascend into that area. Solomon Thomas is kind of like a man without country right now. And I do think we need to settle on one position for him to play. And if that's edge, drill the shit out of edge and do the edge thing and figure it out. And I think he can. I don't think that, that it, it's a lost prospect, but I do think that I don't think it's done at edge, but I do think he needs to he needs to hit the bags, basically. Definitely. I, yeah, I, I think the ideal scenario, because, yeah, I think uh, as far as a, if you're it depends what what direction you're coming from. Right. If you're if you're coming at it from a what's best for Solomon Thomas perspective, I think, the, yeah, the, the 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 path that has less risk to get him to becoming a high-end contributor is to put him in the inside, I think. Um, it's, it's more of an unknown at edge. Again, I still, I'm, not, I'm not totally off that, that, uh, that bandwagon yet. Like I think, again, the athleticism there, and it was going to take time, right? I think he needs to get comfortable working in more space. And so I, I do want to see how he's there for another year. But I think maybe the ideal scenario from the 49ers' perspective is that you are able to bring in that more natural edge player, right? The guy that brings a little bit more speed is a little bit more uh, undersized compared to, to the, the defensive lineman that they've drafted recently. And then I think you get a rotation 
going between Buckner, Armstead, and Tom, uh, and uh, uh, Thomas to play that three technique and the big end, right? All, all three of those players can play either of those spots and be great. Um, you know, maybe you're not kicking Buckner out to big end very much, but still you can sp- there are situations where you can spell him now and have Solomon Thomas and Eric Armstead on the field in those two positions and still feel really good about things. Um, and so that's, I think what I would like to see. You can't have too many good defensive linemen. You, you want to have a scenario where you're trying to figure out how to play all of these guys because you have so many good ones. Like that's a great place to be in. And so I think that's where the, the best case for the 49ers goes is if they can find an edge guy and then work out a rotation where DeForest Buckner no longer has to play, you know, 85% of the snaps and and he can um, really be in there, you know, 70% of the time and just go crazy. You know, for me, I think the, the ideal, the ideal situation is tying it back to the tank Carradine discussion. This is why I think tank Carradine is replaceable because he was a starting big end at the beginning of the year this year. Now I think Solomon Thomas firmly fits at the starting big end role. You can find a backup big end somewhere else. And, and if he's playing at the at the backup big end role, what happened near the end of the year is you had Solomon Thomas either playing inside or you had him playing outside and you had him stunting inside and playing that kind of middle contain rusher. And, and if he's not going to be someone who can get after the quarterback, he still has the athleticism to play that middle contain area. And he still has the ability to make some some or to do some damage in a rush lane on passing downs. And so I think that's kind of I would like to see him excel at big end. I would. And I think he can do it. I just think he needs to focus there because I do think he was kind of moved around a little bit this year. And it was like you're you're back up big end, but you're inside, but you're going to play Leo. And it just it got crazy. Stick him at big end, play him at big end. This is your role. Do it and do it well. Yeah, I think, you know, injuries made it made a little tough. There were a lot of moving pieces. I think D line this year. I uh am in love with the idea of so one of the things again it's all about nickel it's what do you do in passing situations what are you doing in you know your quote-unquote sub packages even though those are the packages you're in more often than not um i want to see so one of the things that the niners do a lot right is uh in their sub packages from a d-line especially heavy passing situations is they like to do uh this thing where they put three guys on one side of the center usually one of them kind of head up on the center right the overload side but yeah three guys kind of to one side and then you get your wide split end on on the opposite side and if they can find somebody else to really fill that wide end spot right so that guy that's kind of by himself because what you're hoping to do from the offensive line perspective is you want to get him to slide to that three guy side right that's a more dangerous side and so it does two things you can run a lot of stunts on the three-man side over there and, and, and try to mess with their protections and, and get guys free there. But then it also hopefully gives your best rusher that's over there kind of one-on-one wide with that tackle a one-on-one opportunity where he's not going to have to worry about getting help from other offensive linemen. Um, and, and so if you have a guy that's really dangerous out there and then all of a sudden you have DeForest Buckner, Solomon Thomas, Eric Armstead at those other three spots and they're running stunts and, uh, you know, messing up guards, like that's going to be, I think, a really dangerous thing for the 49ers. Especially if, they, if you show some kind of A-gap up. pressure. Oh, man. You, you yeah. show A-gap pressure with uh, Reuben Foster, and then the line's like, uh, okay, we're going to slide. And then you drop Reuben Foster, they slide that side, and then the running back is like, oh, shit, who am I going to block? And all of a sudden, you've got your one-on-one on the edge. And, yeah. it's- and, and I mean, that's like my whole thing with, with, uh, with these guys and, and not worrying about them being redundant to a degree is because – once you get in those nickel packages, if you do, again, yeah. they, they do need to add that speed rusher. 
but the the things that you can do uh, with those those three players on the field at the same time are, are pretty fun. How excited are you for a full season of Jimmy Garoppolo to Trent Taylor? Oh my god, dude! <laughs> uh, it, it's it's gonna be great. Uh, I mean, so obviously Taylor was a guy that we loved in the in in the draft process last year, and and loved him after um, you know in in our draft recap stuff. He was a machine this year on third down, right? Uh, he, this is stuff that you can find in the PFF QB annual, which um, really can't recommend that enough. You know, it w- wasn't something that I contributed to or anything like that, but uh, obviously know the, the the guys that did. And uh, there's just so much in-depth information in this book uh, or in this annual. Um, it's like 300 pages of stuff, all like 46 quarterbacks, bunch of different different nuggets in there. One of the things that they they go into is um, you know third and fourth down performance, and you get an idea of the the targets that uh, each quarterback was looking at in those key situations. Trent Taylor was the most targeted player with Jimmy Garoppolo uh, at quarterback on third and fourth down. He had 13 targets, caught 12 of those, and then the other one was a drop. So it wasn't you know defense. It wasn't a bad play necessarily. They, they had the, opp- the opportunity was there. Trent Taylor just dropped the ball, right? N- nearly perfect completion percentage. And 10 of those 12 converted for a first down or a touchdown. Dude was a machine. So you have a guy that knows how to work the middle of the field, that knows how to separate in that area. You have a coach that knows how to scheme players open in that area of the field. And you have a quarterback that was better than anyone else in the league at throwing those short and intermediate passes like, Trent Taylor is going to get work next year. We need to, and you're going to hear it here first, and someone's going to steal the idea, and they're going to make a million dollars off it, but whatever, I don't care. We need hard hats. We need actual oh hard God, hats we that we wear to Levi Stadium <laughs> that have the Better Rivals logo on the back and just Taylor on the front. Uh, That's God. what we need. If anyone is in the hard hat-making industry, <laughs> let us know. Reach out to us. You can, please, you know, please, please do. do. Better Rivals at Gmail. Hit me up. Oh, I would like... A Trent Taylor hard hat. We should make this happen. We got to make it happen. Uh, okay, so Jimmy, the, the last person we're going to talk about in the foundational category in that tier is Jimmy Ward. We've identified him as a foundational player, but at what position? Because you've got, of course, another person that we put in the foundational category, right? Safety is the most represented position here. You've got Jaquaski Tart, Adrian Colbert, Jimmy Ward. We think Jaquaski Tart replaces Eric Reed, and Adrian Colbert is someone who emerged as a starting caliber alternative at free safety. The the angles that he takes in the run game, his ability to cover ground in the pass game. I mean, he played really, really good football and he played very much in that tier two, uh, in that tier two category. But Jimmy Ward, of course, hasn't been able to finish a 16 game season. And we still think that he can play very well. At what position is he a foundational player? It's tough. I think this is almost Solomon Thomas-esque in terms of, well, you have one scenario that I think is better for Jimmy Ward, and then I think you have another scenario that may be better for the 49ers and, and better for their defense performing at a higher level. And I think what's best for Jimmy Ward is to have him play in that free safety role. I think that is his most, most natural position. I think that is the position that he would be best at long-term. But when you look at the makeup of the rest of the roster, right, you know, Quan Williams, he was another player that we identified in this tier, but he was more because they re-signed him to a contract, right? That that you're expecting to you're you're expecting him to be around for a long period of time. And I think that was really what drove his appearance in this tier more so than the talent, right? There there were flashes, and I think he played um very well at the end of the season, especially. Um, 
but I'm not sold on him necessarily from a talent perspective that I'm not looking from an upgrade, right? It, it's slot. So I think you're, if you're looking for your best secondary from the 49ers in sub packages based on the players on the roster right now, I think that's definitely Adrian Colbert at that free safety position, Jimmy Ward at slot, and then Jaquaski Tart playing your strong safety. Um, but it's tough. You know, I don't, I don't know. You know, obviously, if if they were to get, say, a different slot player or something like that between now and then, that was really a standout guy. Um, maybe that changes things, and then you're letting Colbert and Ward battle it out at free safety and see what happens. But um, is I don't know. is Kawan Williams right now end of season Kawan Williams, which admittedly is better than early season Kawan Williams. Is that Kawan Williams better than Jimmy Ward was when at, when he was playing slot corner? I don't think so. No, which, yeah, which is why, yeah, I think that the combination of uh, Colbert at free safety, Ward at um, nickel in the, in the slot corner is a better combination than Ward at free safety, Quan Williams in the slot. That's interesting. Yeah, and, and to me, I think you're probably right that one is better for Jimmy Ward, the other is better for the Niners, but I think that based on positional value, free safety in this defense is more valuable so you want you want your best one of your best players there and even if Jimmy Ward is one eek of a percentage better than 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 uh Adrian Colbert yeah. you want him playing free safety because we know from the Earl Thomas example that that is the position that makes this defense go and we haven't seen a full season of of Jimmy Ward at free safety but in what limited what limited snaps we saw he was very very fluid he broke on the ball he was able to do a lot of things very, very well and showed great range and did a lot of wonderful things at that free safety position. And he still came up and made a lot of really excellent tackles. And it's just we haven't seen that for a whole year. Right. So that, that I think, is the only thing. is I think based on the value of the position at this defense, you want him to win that job. But if he doesn't, I mean, I don't think that a, a bad fallback is him at slot and Colbert. Uh, deep safety right yeah i i think that's maybe the good thing right the bright side is even though there's not necessarily i think right now a clear best case scenario because yeah I, I i definitely agree with like free safety being a more valuable position in this defense and and needing to go with the best player there um but it's it, they, they have a, a couple of decent options right you're not you're not feeling terrible about either one of those scenarios playing out i think you kind of uh, you know, you get guys in camp, you see where your roster's at next year and see, you know, who, who wins that job. And it's going to be, it's going to be the it. camp battle to watch. So that does it for this week's edition of the better rivals podcast. You can always follow me on Twitter at better rivals, David, where can they follow you? That's going to be at Newman NFL. So last week, if you haven't listened to that episode, I recommend going back and listening to it. We cover both the replaceable and developmental quadrants last week. This week, of course, we talked about the transitional quadrant tier three and the foundational quadrant tier two next week we're going to cover the core tier those elite players on the 49ers roster because there are indeed elite players on the roster and we're going to apply the model uh, to see how what that means for both free agency and the draft and talk about other notable roster tidbits so definitely tune in next week and this week do us the favor of leaving a review on iTunes or on Google Play or wherever you get your uh, your your podcasts because it helps other people discover the show. And if you're too lazy to write reviews, share the podcast with a friend. Just tell someone. Just be like, hey, Better Riles Podcast, bro. Listen to it. They're going to be like, what's that? And you're going to be like, I don't know, but just listen to it. And then they're going to be really, really weird. Man, out. just download it, subscribe, 
I don't even care if you play it. Just download and subscribe. That's really what we're looking for. <laughs> no, so make sure you share it this week with a friend. And as always, go Niners. Hello, I'm Ashley Carmen. I'm Caitlin Tiffany. We're the hosts of Why'd You Push That Button, the Verge's show about all the choices technology forces us to make. We're back for season three, talking about questions like, why do you delete your tweets? And why do you type in lowercase letters that make you seem like a serial killer? And why are you on an exclusive dating app? You're not that special. We're releasing a new episode every Wednesday, and you can find this anywhere you typically find podcasts, which is Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Pocket Casts. So go ahead and subscribe and check us out.